0: All right, turn to Philippians 1. We're still there. We're still in that chapter. And just a reminder, if you don't know what this uh, series is for the weekend, it is established. We want you guys to be established, built up. Parker just read a passage that talks about the body of Christ, the church of Christ, being built up. One of the most important things... If you hear me this week, one of the most important things you need to know about establishing your faith, building your faith, is that you don't do it alone. God has not designed you to build up your faith alone. He has designed you to work in a body, in a church body, in a family. He's gifted people differently to build one another up perfectly. So one of the most important things you're going to hear tonight, Right now, if you tune out for the rest of the sermon hear hear this, you will not establish your faith. You will not build up your faith faith well if you are isolated or alone. God designed you to build up your faith to be established in a community of people and believers um, surrounding you and encouraging you. So uh, we have our graph our graph here. Um, The second point concerns one another. How are we to relate to one another well if we want to have an established faith? We're going to look at Philippians 1, 21 through 26 to see what Paul says. It's a very interesting passage about how he relates to other people. And then we'll look at five teachings from that text, and uh, we'll go from there. But first, let me pray and ask for God's wisdom for God's clarity, for there not to be distractions, for you guys to have energy. Stay with me, okay? So let me pray. God, you are present here, not because of the environment, not because of the lights, not because of the decibels, not because of the style of music. You are here because as followers of Jesus, you have filled us with your spirit, and we have brought your presence here as a community of people. So, Lord, we are in your presence, and when and we're in the presence of your children. And, God, I pray that that would sink in deep, that this community would be real to us, and it would challenge us in how we relate to one another um, as we see this unfolded in your scripture. So, God, you give the clarity. You give the energy of these students to pay attention, to focus, limit distractions, And God, give me precision for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, just a review here, okay? Because we're in Philippians 1. Paul talked about he's imprisoned, he's in chains, but he has uh, an attitude where he sees Jesus being exalted and he rejoices in that. And he clarifies that his desire is for Jesus to be seen and savored through him, and that ultimately people see and savor Jesus when you, when when Paul shows that Jesus is his only treasure his greatest treasure. And so Paul then makes that crazy claim for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And this passage is going to be Paul like kind of snapping back to reality. It's going to be like, okay, for for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, but there's more that I have to unfold here, unpack here. So let's look at this text. Verse 21. For me to live as Christ and to die is gain. He says, if I'm to live on in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. That's the Philippian Christians account. Convinced of this, I, Paul, know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul is acknowledging a tension. It's a battle between two great desires that Paul has. He has the great desire to go and depart and be with Jesus, but he also has this other desire to have fruitful labor, And to help the Philippian Christians be strengthened in their faith. And how how does he deal with this tension? How does he deal with these two difficult desires? That's what this passage is about. And what we're going to see here is some of the key things that Paul does to resolve or solve this problem. Okay, And this will be key for us as we think about how we should relate to the other people in this room. How does Paul teach us to relate to one another based on what he says here? So we got five things, okay? Number one, Paul uses his time for fruitful labor. Knowing that death is gain and that his going to be with Christ is far better, Paul says that his life in the flesh should be used for ministry, for fruitful labor. His time on earth is used for fruitful labor. That is the sum of his life, of his existence. The only reason he remains on earth is to provide fruitful labor, and we'll, we'll get specific about what he means by that, but he remains here because he's got work to do. That's what snaps him back to reality. That's why God has not, once you made a decision to follow Jesus, that's why God does not just zap you up into God's space, and preserve you till the final day. Because you as a Christian, when God saved you, he saved you because he's going to use you to do work, to have fruitful labor, to actually minister to other people, specifically to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So the only hindrance to Paul's death is Christian service. This is how Paul desires to use his time on earth. I mean, let's ask ourselves, how do we use our time? What do we want to spend our time on? If we just charted our week, you know, iOS just came out with this thing, shows you how much screen time you got each week. You keep trying to, you know, down this amount of percentage, down this amount of percentage. But it shows you how much time you spend on your phone, and sometimes it's kind of crazy. How much time we use on something like that. Now it can be productive. We can launch into that whole rabbit trail. I'm just saying, are you aware of how you spend your time and is your time intentional are you actually saying this is why i am here this is why i remain i'm going to use my time in this way let's let's ask it another way what would it look like for you if you resolved if you said this will be my resolution to spend your time on this planet for the purpose of fruitful labor that's a weird way to say it But what would it look like if you said, I'm going to use my time on this earth, on this planet, for fruitful labor? What would that look like in your life? What would that look like for the student ministry? What would that look like for your home, for your schools, for your community? What would it look like if you were serious about doing work, having fruitful labor as a Christian? What if your life was infused with that level of purpose, and Paul's going to actually start to unfold what that looks like. If you want to know what that looks like in your life, Paul's going to give us some glimpses here, but there's a very important clarification that Paul makes before we jump into that. Number two, Paul views ministry as secondary to being with Christ. Paul concludes that his life on this planet's all about fruitful labor, about doing work in the name of God, but he never forgets his first love, He never forgets what is, in in the Greek, the original language, he stacks these words on top of each other. He says, it's very far better for me to be with Christ. It is very far better for me to be with Jesus. There should be no confusion here. Paul is not saying that, oh, to be with Jesus would be good, but also to, like, serve here would be good, too. No, he says to be with Jesus is second or is primary and ministry is secondary. It is much better to be with Jesus than simply to serve Jesus. So that's why Paul can say that death is gain because Jesus is there. That is full satisfaction. So again, death is not anything but a departure to be with Christ in Paul's vision. He says when he looks at death, He sees simply the departure to be with Christ, and that's why it's gain. So um, we see that this is important for you. If you are going to serve, if you're going to be committed to issues of serving and having fruitful labor and being in ministry, and that's what your life is going to be about, you still have to remember that your first love is Jesus. Because it's easy, it's easy to get caught up in doing the work of Jesus and not wanting to be in the presence of Jesus. Because what's your first love? What's your ultimate satisfaction in? So if you want to have an established faith, you have to make sure these things are in the proper order. You have to make sure your love for Jesus is primary, and that your love for serving others is secondary. You'll never serve your brothers and sisters well in Christ, unless you understand that being with Christ is far better. So... Um, Second or third thing, Paul notes his other desire. Teaching number three, Paul knows that his life is not about him. Although it is very far better to be with Jesus, what does he say uh, that kind of snaps him back to reality of serving? He says to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account so Paul says it's very far better for me to be with Jesus. That is very far better, but it is more necessary for others for me to remain. So this means that Paul is going to act in the interest of others above his own self-interests. Right? So there's this humility, and Paul calls people to do this, especially the Philippians, to do this over and over again. Even in the passage we read tonight from Ephesians 4. One of the core things of serving well is to have humility. You'll never have unity as a body of Christ unless you have humility within the body of Christ. And that's what Paul is doing here. He is practicing what he commands to do throughout his letter, and that is regard others as more important than himself. So Paul knows that his life is not about him. Knowing that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He does not simply decide to follow what is only advantageous for himself, but he actually looks out for the needs of others. And he actually denies what's most advantageous for him, and he instead pursues what's necessary for other people. So when you make decisions in life, do you you think of how that decision will affect other people? Do you take the interests of others into account in any of the decisions of your life? And think about that. It's actually something that we don't practice very much. I mean, even think about some of the good things. Um, Thinking about, okay, when you come on Sunday nights to, to student service. Sometimes it's very advantageous for you to stay home and study. Sometimes it's very advantageous for you to rest and get a better night's sleep. But what if it's more necessary for someone else that you show up? What if it's very advantageous for you not to wake up 30 minutes earlier in the morning to spend time in scripture, spend time in prayer, right, so that you can get a good start to your day, whatever? What if that seems advantageous to you, but that's more necessary for someone else when you show up to midweek and you're able to share what God is teaching you? So, all I'm trying to do is train our perspective when we start to make decisions. Is our perspective simply on ourselves and our own advantage? Or do we look for the interests of other people? Because that is what Paul is doing here. He's saying, I'm not simply going to do what's better for me. I'm going to do what's necessary for other people. That's one of the primary primary ways that he ministers to everyone that he comes into contact with. (laughs) Okay, so number four. He knows his life's not about him, but this is how Paul defines serving others. And this is going to be very important. Paul defines serving others as equipping others to progress and rejoice in the faith. This is how Paul understands Christian service. Um, At Liberty, I had to do Christian service every semester, 20 hours. You guys still have to do this, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when I was like a prayer leader and I was like a, a spiritual life director on our hall that would satisfy that requirement, well, when I moved off campus, I didn't realize I had to keep doing that. And so it was like my last semester in order to graduate, and I had to do like 60 hours of community service this semester. And uh, I was like, oh, no. So one of the things I did is um, I served for 20 hours during a week called Seafall. <laughs> Do you hear? Huh. Yeah, because if you go to Liberty, Sifa is tortured. It's awful, because the rot is crowded. These, um, t- when I was there, it was a bunch of weird middle schoolers would show up and sleep in your room. Like that sounds fun, but I served by like helping them check in all weekend and whatnot. And then um, another thing I did, I would go work for this uh, nonprofit ministry called Gospel Link. And it was basically like um, Operation Christmas Child, but for like pastors. These people would sponsor pastors. And uh, I would get all of these letters from pastors from all around the world. And I would have to read over these letters in very bad handwriting. And I would have to find if there was anything like weird or like they were asking for money for something, or if they had some weird theological issues or something. So I was just reading these letters constantly, and I did that for 40 hours that semester, which was great. But those things are awesome, right? When we when I think of Christian service, that's what I think of. I think of doing these things. I think of maybe feed the hunger, right? That's something we did a few weeks ago. Was that last weekend? Right? Or we go and serve at the Processing Center for Operation Christmas Child. You help with the Fall Festival at Awana. These are things that we do. But when Paul talks about Christian service, he has in mind something very specific. And it's him equipping other people to progress in their faith and actually rejoice in their faith. So if we understand Christian service that way, not simply doing these things in the name of Jesus, although that's part of it, I don't, don't hear me discounting that. But when we think of Christian service, do we think of it in this way? Of me actually helping another brother and sister in Christ progress in their faith. Because that's how Paul thought about it. So earlier we asked the question, what would it look like for you if you spent your time on this planet um, doing fruitful labor, doing ministry? And this is where we get more practical. Paul says fruitful labor means you're equipping others, helping others. You're pushing and stirring others to progress, to move along, move forward in their faith, as well as rejoice in their faith. So it's not simply just this checklist, right? It also deals with our hearts and our joy. So what does that mean for you? If you want to help serve other people, what does that mean for you? It means that you are helping others trust in Jesus— and also grow in their affections, desires, or loves for Jesus. You are training them to progress in their faith and stir up their love for Jesus. That's what it means to serve others. You're you're helping them move along in their journey to trust Jesus more and love Jesus more. Yes, oftentimes this includes providing for them a meal or whatnot, but also it's much more simple than that. Like sending a text message to a friend to ask them what God's been teaching them, or to show up at midweek and ask for prayer for something, showing your vulnerability, showing that you have not yet arrived. That's encouraging another student to do that, right? These, these things are very simple. This is a big category of just, are you helping people? Are you pushing people and challenging others to trust Jesus more and to love Jesus more? This is what Paul saw as more necessary than his own personal gain. That's what he saw as his calling. And that's your calling. If you're a Christian, that's your calling. That is what you are called to do. That's why God has left you here, to remain in the flesh, not to be taken up to be with Jesus just yet, because you have work to do as a Christian. The good news is that God is so happy and willing to work that in you, and that's the only way you can do it. And that's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit so that we can operate in spiritual gifts towards one another and build one another up. All right, the the fifth thing, and this is the most important. Fifth teaching, Paul's purpose in ministry is for the glory of Christ to overflow and multiply. So this is so important in regards to your relationship with one another. God is working in and through your relationships, specifically with the people in this room, to multiply his glory. That's what God is in the business of doing. He wants the glorious resurrection that you've experienced with him vertically to overflow into your relationships horizontally. And he wants there to be just this eternal fountain Of glory being seen, of God being great, and and Jesus being exalted over and over again in your relationships. So your relationships with with the other people in this room are designed to further glorify God. And that is the only reason why Paul keeps continuing to minister to them. Paul wants to continue to live so that God can continue to glorify himself through Paul and his ministry. And he sees the primary way to do that is by equipping other people to progress in their faith, to rejoice in their faith, to trust in Jesus more, to love Jesus more. So the godly person desires to live only so long as his life will promote the glory of Christ. And death is gained because Christ is the ultimate satisfaction. Life is worth living because it permits us to glorify God and others. Our death is for Christ and our life is for others in as much as our life is for Christ. And this means, this means that this is a holistic view that Paul has. He sees the glory of God and how great and awesome it is and how he wants other people to experience that and that's why he stays put. So this is just so important as it concerns the foundation of your service. You don't serve to simply make yourself look great. You don't serve because it's just some duty that you have as a Christian. You're a soldier in the Lord's army. It is because you have been so enraptured by the glory of God that you want that to overflow. When you experience something truly, genuinely, and sincerely, like when you watch an awesome movie or you read a great book, One of the first things you want to do is tell other people about it. It's the nature of joy that it overflows, that you want other people to experience it. And that's that's what Paul's doing with the glory of God. He's experienced the glory of God in his own life, and he's been so um, caught up in it that he wants other people to experience it. So how do we wrap all this up? Yes, we see this great example of how Paul served others, how he sought God's glory above all things. And that meant that he saw others' needs above his own self-interests. And we see that Paul is not talking about some cheap Christian service. This is not simply feeding people meals or um, checking off the box of door-to-door ministry or making an Instagram post with Jesus in it. Paul found his purpose in serving, and that serving was caught up in progressing other people in their faith, stirring them up in love, and, and doing this all for the glory of God. So in connection with the weekend here, and with you establishing your faith, and having your faith established, this is how we can think of relating to our other brothers and sisters in Christ. One, you equip them to glorify God, number two, you stir them up in love, and number three, you train them to progress in the faith. Imagine what it would look like if the people in this room started to relate to one another for the big picture purpose of equipping one another to give glory and praise to God. What if that is the motivator of your relationships, What if that became the the chief primary goal of you and how you relate to other people in this room? Can you imagine the kingdom advancement that would be done in the name of Jesus? Can you imagine the testimony of life change, resurrection, renewal? Because as we've said many times, the best way to equip other people in this room to glorify God. The best way God glorifies people is in the act of resurrection. It's taking people's bondage and brokenness and, and freeing them from it and restoring it. And so what if that's what you are about as a Christian? What if that's how you sought the glory of God? That's What if that's how you sought for people to be equipped to glorify God? Imagine what a community of people doing that would look like. Or thinking about stirring one another up in love. It's this imagery that the writer of Hebrews uses. He says, we don't neglect doing this and meeting together because we stir one another up in love. We don't let people remain stagnant, right? We stir them up. We try and challenge them and encourage them. What if people showed up on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights not just to be fed, not just to check off the box, to grow spiritually themselves, But what if they showed up to stir up their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to love Jesus more than they did yesterday? What if that was your perspective going into gatherings? What if that perspective bled into your everyday life, where when you wake up in the morning, you're starting to think, how can I encourage another brother or sister in Christ to love Jesus more today? What would a community of people committed to doing that look like? It would not look convenient, comfortable. It would not look just like anything else. It would radically turn people's lives around. It would turn the world upside down. We have a great picture of it in the book of Acts. When the Spirit of God is just unleashed in the world, Jesus has ascended into heaven. He sends the Spirit of God to keep working in the world. And you just see these radical descriptions of the community. They were just selling everything that they owned, giving to people who had need. They were committing themselves daily to the apostles' teachings and to prayer. And they were eating meals with uh, with one another. They were sending out missionaries. But what would that look like for you? What if we were committed to training people to progress in the faith? Envision older students taking younger students and training them in the faith. Asking them to imitate them as they imitate Christ. That's what Paul did. He went around saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What would it look like if we had a community of people that was asking people to imitate them as they imitated Christ? So I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone. I'm not trying to to throw baggage onto you. I'm simply trying to show you what it means to follow Jesus. I'm asking all of us, myself included, whether we're willing to do it. Because listen, it's easy to say here and say, man, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be something? But what if we changed the question to, am I willing to do it? Am I willing to actually be governed by that vision of God's glory overflowing into the world? Am I willing to do it? Seniors, a year from now, you'll most likely be on a college campus far from here. What type of impact are you going to make on the students you leave behind? Will anyone say, that person that senior equipped me to follow Jesus more seventh graders in 5 years from now you may be in fall retreat again in those 5 years is anyone going to say that person that person challenged me that person encouraged me to follow Jesus more In here, some of us have the idea that we, we need to be perfect before we begin equipping other people. Right, but even, even Paul, he says, I'm not perfect. I've not yet arrived, but you can follow me as I try to follow Jesus. So you don't need to be perfect in this room to try and train and equip one another. You do not need to be Perfect. So also, some of us assume that this only happens in one-on-one meetings, like over coffee or over lunch. But that doesn't have to be the case. Gather up a group of friends. Go to lunch. Go to dinner. Soap together. Ask how you're doing and not just being okay with the word okay. No, no, seriously. how, How are you? What is God teaching you? What are you struggling with? How can I help? Here's some of my struggles. Right, Do that with a group of people. Pray for one another. That in and of itself, just praying for one another, is a way of equipping one another to follow Jesus and trust Jesus more. And so i am just leave the question again. What's stopping you? What's stopping you from doing that? That's a question. Write it in your write it in your notes, and really try and answer it honestly. I've, I say this a lot. I don't want the right answer from you. I want the honest answer. What's stopping you from that? Oh, it's just so much work. Oh, I just I'm not really serious about Jesus. Just want to get through, go to college, do what I want. What's the honest answer? What's stopping you?